Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. This is the second of two Q&A episodes of the podcast with James B. John, Alistair Roberts, and Jeff Myers. And in this episode, they'll be addressing when to leave a church and what to look for in a new church. If you have not already, we do invite you to take a look at our Theopolis app. You can find a lot of our audio and video content over there, including James Jordan discussing Gnosticism, Alistair Roberts and Peter Lightheart teaching on a theology of the sexes, and a video series from Lightheart and Roberts discussing how to read the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 in the furniture of creation. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode, and we want to thank you so much for listening. And here are James B. John, Alistair Roberts, and Jeff Myers answering your questions. All right, so to begin this episode, uh, let's talk about uh, this question. What factors should be taken into account when deciding whether or not to join a particular church and what factors are not as important? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, maybe this isn't the main thing to say about the question, but I think it might ne- um, it might nevertheless be helpful to say up front that often these questions sound as if there can just be this abstract decision as to which church to join, as if you're just kind of transported or plonked down in a new country and you've got to find the best church around you. But it almost seems impossible to answer the question of kind of joining a a new church without discussing leaving an existing one. Um, it's, It's not as if you can discuss it in isolation. I mean, you might say perhaps well, perhaps someone has moved to a new area and so they have to leave their old church anyway. Um, But even then, I mean, is it a wise thing to go and relocate to a new area without being clear that there's a church there that you think you can productively and and happily join in and worship and and muck in there? And, And so I kind of feel that it's just necessarily bound to the issue of leaving an an existing church which I just see as a a very serious thing to do and and something that absolutely shouldn't be done without a lot of prayer and and forethought and meeting with others and without it it really being an absolute last resort so I guess whatever else we say about this I just think that's something else to chuck into the mix really. Yeah, that's a really great point, James. You and I are thinking along the same lines when I read that question. Uh, I remembered, uh, of course, uh, Screwtape Letters, where uh, Screwtape writes to Wormwood. The two demons are writing to each other. And there's this paragraph in uh, chapter 16 uh, where the demon says to the the demon in charge of uh, the, the Christian, you mentioned casually in your last letter, that the patient, that's the Christian, has continued to attend one church and one only since he was converted, and that he is not wholly pleased with it. May I ask what you are about? Why have I no report of the causes of his fidelity to the parish church? Do you realize that unless it is due to indifference, it is a very bad thing? Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. Um, And (laughs) I always send that paragraph out to people that are visiting my church. If 
from another church in town. Um, so they will think carefully about what they're doing and make sure uh, if they are leaving another church, that it is for some weighty reasons. And that gives us an opportunity to talk about that. I think that's extremely important. And just um, the difference between a form of church that's built largely around a parish system and the form of church that I think we increasingly have um, in the West, and I think especially in America, where it's a sort of religious marketplace and different churches are trying to corner different parts of that religious marketplace. Um, that's just a big change in itself. And I'm not sure that we sufficiently register the degree to which that shapes the idea of what it means to be a member of a church. Um, the fact that we are located in a particular area, that we're living around other Christians um, who are attending various churches within that locality, I think that should weigh something um, when it comes to actually choosing a church or determining which church we should join. Um, I don't think we have a, we should be thinking in terms of having a pure church um, choice that we just have a blank slate, we can choose however we want. It seems to me that if you're in a particular location, if you're around a particular body of people, there are certain churches that have more of a claim upon um, you as a worshipper than others. If you're traveling a long distance to go to a church, there needs to be a, a fairly strong reason for that. If you're worshiping away from um, your immediate community and family members, there needs to be a very strong reason for that. Um, if you're worshiping in ways that um, divide you from many others within your community who are faithful Christians, there needs to be a reason for that. And so I think that is one of the ways that I would think about this question. I think also recognizing that there is a duty on the part of every church within a location to recognize the bond that should exist between churches, between um, various instantiations of the body of Christ within that um, area. And so if you're having a more sectarian church choice, there's something wrong there. I think we do need to maybe work out some of the ways in which our modern ease of transport and mobility, um, the ability that we have to, um, to choose um, between a dozen or more different churches and find one more exactly to our taste actually undermines a lot of the things that the church is supposed to be and do. Um, for instance, if you have to remain as a member of a specific community, locality, not necessarily a church community, but a, a community where you are actually just part of your business, part of your life and sociality is all rooted in that location. You have to learn to forgive people. You have to learn how to um, intertwine your life with theirs. And a parish church, I think, has something of the weight of the locality taken seriously. Now, our ways of experiencing locality and being rooted in a particular place after the advent of the car have changed significantly. So we can't necessarily just go back. 
But I do think we need to consider what maybe we have lost in the process. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, as a pastor, I I struggle with this all the time. Somebody, I can understand someone moves into the city who's new to the city and drives past other churches to get to us. And as long as I have the right reasons, but I will always say to them, you know, you're driving past two other Presbyterian churches to come to us. Have you visited them? Uh, because they're closer to you. And one of them is even in your, uh, your municipality, your county, your community. Uh, you need to, you need to at least go there and make sure that that's not a suitable place for you. But this is really difficult in, especially in America, as you mentioned, Alistair. Um, uh, Lewis, in that same uh, screw tape letter, that letter from screw tape to Wormwood, says that the parochial organization should always be attacked. So this is a demonic kind of thing to attack the parochial organization. Why? Because being a place, being a unity of place and not of likings, it brings people of different classes and psychology together in the kind of unity the enemy desires, the enemy, of course, being God. The congregational principle, on the other hand, makes each church into a kind of club. And finally, if all goes well, into a coterie or faction. Um, and, the sec and, and the search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy, where God, wants him to be a pupil. Um, that's, that's extremely important. So even if you have to search for a church uh, and go through a list of, you know, uh, appropriate criteria to find a suitable church when you move into an area or when you have to leave another church because of some serious abuse or heretical teaching or something, then you better locate yourself quickly before you become too critical and bef before you become, uh, rather than a pupil and a, a sheep under the shepherd, you, you become uh, insufferable. And there's too many people like that who move around from church to church uh, because they're overly critical. They're hypercritical. And that, that's not good for their soul at all. It's not good for the church to have people like that bouncing around in the churches, which happens way too often. It does happen too often, yeah. And you can kind of see quite easily the human reason for it, can't you? Because having left one church and gone somewhere else, I think it's all the more easy to then leave that church as well, because you think, well, I put myself all through all this drama and, and hardship leaving the previous place. Um, and yet, you know, things aren't ideal here. And if I'm going to stay here, I may as well have stayed at, at the old place. And, and so you can then move on again. And it, it does, I mean, in, my experience, our church, for instance, the, the people who have left a previous church or two churches to join it have very quickly then moved on from ours as, as well. It, it does seem to happen like that. I think we'd be remiss not to mention the traditional three marks of the church. So if this, this question is about, you know, what should I uh, look for? What should I take into account when I'm joining a particular church? Then you're looking for Number one, that there is order or discipline in the church. 
Number two, that there's the pure teaching and preaching of the gospel, the biblical doctrine. And third, uh, the right administration of the sacraments. And I usually turn these into questions for people. So does the church love one another? Do the pastors and elders and leaders in this church care for people enough to make difficult decisions, uh, to visit people in the hospital, uh, to pray for people, uh, to, to practice hospitality? That's, that's the order and discipline of church. Number two, does the church hold to and declare biblical doctrine? Uh, so look at its public doctrinal standards. Listen to the way the Bible is taught and preached by the pastor. That's number two. Number three, the right administration of sacraments is, is the church Catholic in its practice of the sacraments, small c Catholic. Uh, in other words, does it accept other churches' baptisms as valid? Uh, does it allow all Christians to communicate Christ's table? Or is it sectarian in the way it uh, handles and administers a sacrament, because if it is, it's likely to be sectarian also in its outlook with regard to other Christians. So, um, so at least those three marks of the church ought to be considered taken into account when one considers joining a new church. I think in addition, I'd say just the general dominical principle, by their fruit, you will know them. And pay attention to the people who have been in that church for a long period of time. Um, what, how does it shape the people within it? Um, think also about, again, getting back to our earlier discussion in the previous um, episode on qualifications for eldership. Um, what fruit do you see in the life of those who are the leaders of the church? Um, do you see that their families are run well? Do you see their households as places of peace and, and joy and love? Or are they places where there is conflict and discord? Um, all of these sorts of things will give you some sense of the character of the church and its leaders. And in addition to Jeff's points, those are things I've found helpful to consider in the past. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And that also uh, presupposes, Alistair, that you have a congregation that is uh, demographically diverse or, or, or in terms of age, especially that you have some older folks uh, and you have some younger folks. And it's not just a company of young people, 30 something people around a charismatic kind of pastor. Uh, the way I put that uh, to, to people coming in church, especially young people, I put it to them this way. I said, stick around the church for a while, pay attention to those that are uh, older, those that have prominence, those that are respected in church, and ask yourself this question. When I get to be that age, do I want to be like that? When I get to be uh, a grandfather, uh, do I want to have the character of the uh, grandparents that I have interacted with in this church? Uh, when I, I'm a young man now, but hey, when you get to be uh, the age of 55 or 60, uh, do you want to be, do you want to have the kind of character and life that the elders of this church have? And if you can say yes, great. But if not, if, if you can't find anybody in a church that you respect enough to want to grow into that 
role, that uh, that way of life, eh, you got you got problems. Uh, you got problems uh, in in the uh, in the body life of that church. I agree entirely with the, those things that both you, uh, Jeff and Alistair, have mentioned. I think the interesting thing about them is that really neither of them are the kind of things that you can determine by, let's call it, a Sunday morning visit. You know, you, you don't just sit through a service and then become able to get a feel for the kind of people certain folk in the church are, how they run their house, etc. And I, I just find that a helpful thing to think about it, it, it's very often very well, very often you get the impression yep i can go to this church and after i've been there three weeks seen how they do their services i can make my decision but it, it really just isn't like that is it yeah no it's not it shouldn't be like that and that's why i will get people that come to our church and after you know four weeks of being here say they want to join uh, now we don't actually treat people who are with us regularly and people who are formally members, all that much different. But at the same time, if you're going to formally join our church, then you need to stick around for a while. And I will often tell people, well, you know, just, just wait a few months, uh, 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 do more things with us, uh, have more opportunity for interaction with me, with the associate pastor, with the elders, with the people before you make a serious commitment, because you will take a vow uh, before the elders, before God, um, to support this church to and its worship and work to the best of your ability. So make sure you, you can actually say that in good conscience. Um, and you're exactly right. It, it takes some time, and people should take time to do that. Now, what I will tell people in that situation, I'll be visiting their house and they've been here for four weeks. Hey, look, I understand you're, you're in between churches, uh, but hey, I, I, right now I'm your pastor. Uh, so, I, so treat me as your pastor. I'll treat you as a member of the congregation. If you have any trouble, if you need any counseling, if you need prayer, if you know one of your children's in the hospital or need visitation, you call me, I'll be there, I'll help you. So don't think somehow that me asking you to wait uh, some time is going to mean any difference in terms of just our care and concern for you uh, as a, a part of this body. We consider you a Christian, but uh, you haven't formally uh, covenanted with us yet. Uh, we hope that will be so in the future, but for now, we're going to treat you the same way. I think a lot of people are asking this question in the last few years when they're bumping up against churches that are leaning more and more towards the woke direction or, you know, as you're aware, Jeff churches that are maybe getting soft on things like revoice or, or whatever. So there are, there are plenty of people or, uh, you know, a lot of people left churches because of their stance on the COVID-19 pandemic and, and their responses to that. And so, um, while everything that you guys have discussed is, I, I 100% agree, and it's very important. I think that's that's the reason a lot of people are some are asking these questions right now is because of these social issues and because of directions that they're seeing the church that they've been in maybe for decades going in that they don't see a, a healthy end in sight. Yeah, well, we've seen 
some of that for sure. Uh, I guess the question I have in situations like that is, did the COVID crisis or does the fact that um, you're now having women lead in the worship service or or something like that, you know, um, does that uncover something deeper, some deeper problem or issue in the church? And does that then justify your considering leaving church? In other words, mm. is, is this is this an outcropping of something that you're noticing is infecting the whole church or or is it something else? It's not an easy question to answer at all. Um, and uh, the, the other thing I'd say is I always, and I'm actually dealing with somebody right now in this, in this exact situation and uh, met with them a couple of weeks ago and said, you must talk with your pastor and elders uh, or some, some mix of that and tell them, what's going on and give them a chance to explain themselves uh, because you haven't done that yet. Uh, and you owe that, that to them because you've submitted to their government and discipline. And if you find that uh, their answers aren't adequate, you know, come back, we'll talk about it um, and we'll go from there. But this is one of the things that I, I, I find disconcerting about people who leave for some of these reasons is they just bolt. Um, they don't give their pastors or, or elders an opportunity to interact with them. And um, that's not healthy at all. I think also there's the question of to what extent are you actually bearing with brothers and sisters in love and submitting to those with oversight over you um, in many of these situations? There will definitely be situations in any single church where you have strong disagreements with policies or approaches that are taken on particular issues. And it is imperative that you think carefully about how you respond to those differences. You can have those differences, but much of the time we're just called to submit to people who make bad calls on occasions, people we disagree with to learn to live at peace with brothers that we have dis disagreements with on issues that are not um, issues upon which great matters rest. And there are ways that we can negotiate those differences without division. And if we do have to divide, to make that division as um, minimal as possible. Sometimes you just won't be able to worship um, in that church. But you don't have to burn your bridges behind you. You don't have to fall out with people. Um, you may have to have some distance um, just for various reasons. Um, you may not be able to, um, in good conscience, worship in a particular church. That doesn't mean that you have to break all ties, speak against that congregation and their pastor. There are ways also of recognizing that you are not responsible for your church's practice on all sorts of issues. And many people, I think, have this idea that we, each individual Christian, particularly Christians who are thinking theologically and wrestling th things through, that they have to have this mental 
church policy on all sorts of issues, how the sacrament should be administered, how church government should be uh, approached, how certain cases of church discipline should be adjudicated. And if the church does not match to their internal perfect government, um, then they're out of that. And that is a particular danger, I think, for people who are theologically minded, who are thinking through these issues for themselves. And much of the time we need to recognize, for instance, in my position, I am not a pastor. I am a member of a church. I have disagreements with ways certain things are run, and I just have to submit to the elders of the church. And I can have those disagreements. I can talk about those issues with the elders, and I can do that without causing division in a manner that shows love and recognizes that my place is not actually to set the policy on the precise administration of the supper, for instance. Um, I can have dif differences, but recognize that's the duty of the, the, elders, the elders to determine those sorts of things. And I can give them my counsel, I can raise certain concerns, but much of it is knowing my place. Yeah, and just to throw in one more factor, something else I, I think at least to consider is whether a disagreement is actually about a deep-seated theological issue of conviction of some kind or about almost, you could call it a kind of contingent perception of reality. And so, I mean, Brian, you mentioned the case of response to, um, response to COVID. And so many of those disagreements, it seems to me, are disagreements over the nature of the thing. So in this case, the nature of COVID. You can have a conversation where one person is talking about this thing as if it's a disease with a 50% fatality rate that we can eliminate entirely if we all just wear masks. And the other person sees it as something that's just akin to a common cold. And you, you are then kind of arguing and disagreeing um, about something that is perceived completely differently. And I think so many um, contemporary issues will, will have that same aspect to them. And so you can be arguing, thinking that you're having a theological conversation about something, and you're actually not. It, it's something that one person thinks is a, a mouse and someone else thinks is a, a tiger or something. And I just think it can be really important to... Um, flesh out the nature of this disagreement before making decisions on the basis of it. Is it a, a disagreement in perception of fact or is it something more fundamental and, and theological? Yeah, that's that's hard for people to do, That to put it in perspective. There's a hierarchy of concerns here. Uh, and some of the concerns that you mentioned, like um, COVID response and others, don't really rank up there uh, unless, again, it's a revelation, it's a manifestation of something deeper. Um, and that, that that could be, but it's it takes some wisdom to figure out whether that's the case. Um, one of the one of the oh uh, litmus tests maybe uh, that I use with people. So as a pastor, I have people or I've had people over the last 28 years in this church, who've wanted to leave our church. Actually, I just had one person. Ah, that's a joke. I've had plenty of people who've left our church. 
for all sorts of reasons. Um, and w- when I'm meeting with them, and, and sometimes they meet with you, sometimes they don't. But when I'm meeting with someone who's critical and is ready to leave the church, I'll, one of the questions I'll ask them is, um, so is it gotten so bad that you really can't invite friends or neighbors to the church? And if they say yes, I'm like, okay, well, you know, the Lord be with you. Um, find a church where you can be more comfortable. Um, that's, I mean, and and hopefully it's not because of some minor issue like James is talking about. Uh, but having those kind of conferences with people helps. The other thing, uh, other dimension, this, and sometimes some of these contemporary issues might uncover uh, problems that a parishioner has with their pastor, and all of a sudden realize that they don't have respect for their pastor. They don't trust him. They don't like him uh, even. And this is a weird, I say weird, this is an odd thing in, in the church where the way God has set things up is that the personality of the pastor, even though we try to cover it with robes and with collars, the personality of the pastor often makes uh, things difficult for some people in the church. So this has happened with me before. I have a particular kind of personality and lifestyle, and um, and it was different from the former pastor that was here before me. And so we lost a number of people in my first four or five years here because they didn't sync with me. It didn't click with me. And I would meet in their homes and they'd say this, this, and this about me, you know, well, you smoke cigars and the old pastor didn't, you drink scotch and the old pastor didn't, you watch movies, the old pastor didn't, or whatever it was. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Um, and eventually these people would tell us, well, we're, we're ready to leave. Okay. Uh, I they, They'd bring this before the session, before the elders, and the elders would say something like this. No, we need to remind them of their vows. They can't leave. These are not good reasons. And I would I would always respond, well, yeah, they kind of are. Because if they're coming to church every Sunday morning and they're seeing me and they don't like me and they don't click with me and they they don't trust me, even if the reasons are not good, then they're, they're, this mystical bond between pastor and parishioner is broken. They need to go somewhere where they can reestablish that. Uh, and it may be reestablished with me at some future time. In fact, it has been with some of these people, but it's not right now. And so don't make them stay because all they'll do is end up being bitter and they'll be complaining to other people in church. And it will be uh, a, a opportunity for discord and division in the church. So there's these dimensions, these personal dimensions church membership uh, that sometimes aren't given proper weight. Uh, and there's just a lot of wisdom that's required uh, to to help people evaluate their place in the church or whether they should leave or stay. One thing I've found important to consider is the degree to which we tend to think about division in the church as a result of people splitting and leaving particular churches and going off to start a new church or to attend a new church. And yet much of the division in the church 
is more a result of the way that we have built the church around individual choice and the religious consumer as king. And that is something that can be seen in um, the ways that certain churches will be built around a certain demographic, or they'll be built around a particular music preference, or it will be built around a particular lifestyle, um, very much playing into one key demographic that it's aiming towards. And that can be even within a single church. There will be a contemporary music service. There will be a service that is designed for those who want older hymns, classic hymns. And there will be another service designed for um, the youth. Whatever it is, these are ways in which the church is, the body of Christ is divided too. And so one of the challenges, whenever we're thinking about um, moving from one church to another, um, or thinking about what it means to be a member of the church that we're at now, we need to think about what are the ways in which my being part of the church is more than a matter of just my personal choice. How do I, for instance, submit to overseers? How do I put others before me in love within this congregation where people are deeply imperfect? And I have all sorts of differences, but somehow as a body of Christ, I feel um, that I feel that part of my commitment needs to be the givenness of the situation, of my situation here, that I can't just choose the Christians that I want to have around me, the demographic that I want to have around me, the music that I want to have around me. And many people, I think, particularly when they um, see ways in which we can improve our liturgy or we can have better Bible teaching, can become um, enamored with the idea of leaving their church to start a new church or to go to a church in the next town away and actually forsake the place where God has placed them and where they could have a, a make a significant difference, um, but it might be on a more modest scale. And so if we maybe move away from that um, choice-based approach and conception of what it means to be a member of a church, and maybe consider some of the ways in which we need to accept the givenness of our rootedness, um, that we're placed in a particular location, and we placed with a particular group of Christians around us. And we need to, as best we can, find ways to lean into that faithfully. Um, I think we're going in the right direction if we do that. Well, I totally agree with that, Alistair, but my goodness, uh, <laughs> the uh, culture which we live in, is it's so difficult. I mean, we, ju we just had someone leave our church because of the psalm chanting we do. It's like, okay, uh, how do you, you know, try, try as we might to convince that person that, it, that this is not a major, shouldn't be a major issue with you. And we, only do, we only do one psalm chant every Sunday. Um, it was this person's choice to leave. And I mean, we really couldn't do anything about it. Um, and I mean, th this kind of thing happens all the time. Um, and as much as we talk about it, and we do talk about the importance of, uh, you know, our commitment to one another, our, this is, this is, this is where you are. This is where God has put you. These are the people that you're, you're connected to, that you're covenanted with. Um, when push comes to shove in a modern America, 
if you don't like something, um, you make a choice to leave and go somewhere else. I, I, I wish it wasn't the case, but it's just too prevalent. So the takeaway I'm getting is that if you want to grow your church, stop smoking cigars and chanting psalms. Is, is that the... Is that <laughs> <where we're... laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I, I was going to say, I mean, a corollary of what both you guys are saying, which I think is important, is that churches will never change if as soon as there are various things that you disagree with, you leave. I mean, that's then just a recipe for absolute stasis. And particularly, in fact, that becomes important, I think, if those are convictions which you've had while being at uh, convictions which you've developed while being at a given church. You know, then it would it strikes me as even more strange to leave. I mean, wouldn't you rather kind of hope that by sticking out and submitting and so forth that those convictions will come to be shared or if your convictions are wrong that you know you'll be talked down from them and and so yeah there's that to consider too yeah but to be honest james um uh it's it's a good thing that some people leave uh because church won't change in many cases if there are people that are just digging in their heels on things um that's happened too is people digging in their heels on things. And so the church can't change because this is the way it's always been for them. And they, they don't want it any different. Um, so there is, there is that. And there are some people that are just plain divisive. And so as a pastor, you're happy when they do leave, but you worry about the next congregation that they might join with. <laughs> right. And possibly though, you hope that, when someone does join a new congregation that the elders or whatever there would actually be in touch with you. Because if I was an elder at a church and someone was joining, I would want to speak to the leaders of, of their previous church. Oh yeah. I try to do that all the time, but I can tell you that it doesn't happen very often with people who leave our church. And, and sometimes it does. I remember one time we have a very divisive person leave and, talked to the other pastor about him. And he said, well, he didn't strike me as being all that divisive. And then, of course, three years later, he's gone. And we talk and it's like, oh, my goodness, I wish I would have listened to you three years ago. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.